0: Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Joining me today are two members of the pastoral team at Ignatius House: my wife, Sarah Otto, and uh, Father Peter Fink. Thanks for uh, being with me this this day. Being good. Yeah. So we want to talk about uh what does it mean to to be a, a a companion or a friend of jesus and you know ignatius writes in the spiritual exercises and this is probably one of the things that i think is most known in ignatian circles is that ignatius says that we can speak to jesus as one friend speaks to another and we can maybe go more into depth and unpack what that means for prayer uh, f- even for ourselves but um, Sarah and Peter what are your kind of initial thoughts when when you hear Ignatius say those words
1: Well I I've said this before one of my great stories is to remind people that Ignatius didn't found the Society of Jesus that's a Rom- a Roman term what he founded was the Compañeros de Jesus the company of Jesus and Therefore, it is not just simply an added thought or a thought that is uh, addition to the Ignatian journey. It is primarily what the Ignatian journey is about. It is in the exercises, as you say, bring us into that kind of um, speak to Jesus as friend, be with him. And that, that's not, it's not an addition. Uh, it, it is exactly what the ignatian spiritual journey is about um you know there's a difference i think between jesus as friend or jesus as companion or seeing jesus as a follower or seeing even or seeing ignatius as a follower i mean it's that it's not something that we stand at a distance and and look but it really is uh What's the way of putting it? Someone you can sit and have coffee with in the morning mm-hmm. it really is a kind of intimate relationship, where um, sort of you're never alone. You're never alone. You are always in, in a constant and loving relationship with this one whom we call Jesus. Yeah, the the
2: thing that comes to mind. For me, um, we have we have a toddler who is in daycare who often gets sent home with incident reports, and the language that the school uses for these incident reports is uh, "friend." So we'll get a report. Oscar was bit by a friend today, or Oscar pushed a friend today, and that friend got mad, you know, and it, it maintains the confidentiality of these friends. And I roll my eyes initially and think, what kind of friend would bite my son? But the more I think about it in the spiritual sense of, like, Jesus befriended those who didn't like him, and he wanted to befriend them and reached out to those who... um yeah, weren't accepted. And and isn't that what friendship about, is about? That I can be my worst self with my friend and I'm going to trust that they know that's not the whole of me. Um, and so to speak to Jesus as a friend, I can bring my worst side, my worst thoughts, my uh, biggest insecurities, and know that he's still going to love me and I can be honest with that. Um, and for me, the difference between a friend... And a family, I think it's significant that Jesus said, I called you, I call you friends because there's a sense of being chosen. Um, we don't choose family unless it's our spouse, but we choose our friends. And that, that sense of of choosing and wanting to be in relationship is what can bring us back over and over to that relationship, that, that initial desire, um, and continual desire that grows in being honest, in being your best self and your worst self with your friend, even when they bite you.
0: (laughs) Years ago, when I I was a hospital chaplain, I remember Mm -hmm. suggesting to a patient, you know, or just sort of asking them about their image of God and, you know, can you you talk to, to Jesus as you would a friend or talk to God as you would a friend? And there was this immediate resistance to that. And I think you know, what is our, we need to ask ourselves, what is our notion of friendship? Um, Because for the, for this person, this patient of mine, it almost, his response was, um, oh no, you know, I need to have a reverence for God. I need to have a a reverence for God, sort of fear of God. Um, And I, and I, and I said, why does friendship imply irreverence? I mean, if it's a, a, a true friend, we do have a certain reverence and an awe for them when we're in their presence. Um, you know, that's, that's part of that, that, that love and that intimacy and that gratitude that we have for our friends and how they, um, how they feed us. Um, so it's just an interesting question. What, is, what does friendship mean in our larger culture even?
1: I think also the question is, who is Jesus mm. in the minds of people? Because one of the e- the easy things we can do, and you've heard it before, I've heard it before, oh, that's fine, he was God. <laughs> it, it's a way you simply remove Jesus from your human reality and push him aside. And, you know, it. it's always, it has become clearer and clearer to me that the only image we have of Jesus is he is what god looks like when god becomes human mm-hmm. you know and because he is what god looks like when god becomes human there's a lot for us to learn about him and his humanity that You know, you you look at him, you, you, you follow his life, which is what the exercises invite you to do. But you follow his life and you discover the secrets of being what God looks like when God becomes human. So that to the extent that if I follow him and become human, I do two things. I learn how to become human. But I also realize that God is becoming something in me, becoming human. So, the, the, and that goes back to, a, you know, but the minute we separate Jesus from us by saying, oh, yeah, he was God, uh, that's, that's the kind of reverence that this person might have in mind. And you say, that's not the reverence. The reverence we should have is for his, his humanity, hmm. which is privileged form of humanity. And it's in that relationship that my friendship with him as a human person, who himself said in St. John's gospel, you see me, you see God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know, you don't have to kind of, you, you, you go right through me to find God. You don't have to kind of circum circumvent it all around. So I, I think the notion there, we, we have let Jesus, we have um, pushed Jesus away from the very thing that the incarnation is about he became human and 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 anything that negates that uh negates who his revelation and and if you do that you then you then you stand at a distance and try to be like him like a like a servant not as a friend
2: well that makes me think of um how significant ignatius's non-scriptural Prayer suggestions and meditations are like, you know, imagining the hidden life of Jesus and um, really allowing your imagination to see and contemplate. Yeah. What was he like as a little boy? What were his friendships like his relationships with Mary and Joseph and then, you know, the meditation of um the first post resurrection appearance to mary and just the intimacy in their their mother son relationship and really yeah knowing that he was a human who loved and grieved and and grew into his own identity but but we don't get that if we just stick with the scriptural text
0: you know, we yeah,
1: I've seen that retreats. When I'm, I'm looking at you saying, and you've got all that to look forward to. But when they become teenagers, what yeah. was Jesus like <laughs> as a teenager? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yep, right now I'm in his uh, toddler stages of Jesus's tantrums. <laughs> Parenting really
0: brings out your own humanity too, and <laughs> good and bad. Yeah, I was
1: talking to someone on retreat, and that's what he he was looking at. He had four sons, and he was watching them grow, hmm. and 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 that's how he brought. That into his own reflection on the humanness of jesus mm-hmm. and and just as he loved each of those four, he learned to love Jesus, who had to do the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. yeah, it really was it was a beautiful thing to watch, you know
0: mm-hmm. uh, Sarah, and I do a marriage prep program and and we talk about uh, often how the the married relationship really does model this. Um, kind of friendship and companionship that we have with Jesus in the sense that, you know, Jesus is always calling us to be more human. Um, and, and even Pope Francis said that, that the, you know, husband and wife help each other become more human, become their full selves, you know, in, in God. Um, I love that the word companion, I think there's also a depth to the word companion Um, versus, versus friend. And that, you know, the word companion means with bread. And I read a a translation can be bread fellow, you know, one with whom you break bread that you share a meal with. Um, It's this intimate moment of sharing, right? Because companions, they share everything with each other. They share their joys and their struggles and, and their hardships and um, they do it together. Um, and the, Ignatius um, writes in, in the exercises, um, consider the office of consoler that Christ our Lord exercises, and compare it with the way in which friends are wont to console each other. Yeah. You know, and I think back to that. Uh, you know, he called the the his religious order the companions of Jesus. Right, that there is this kinship, this this mutual this mutuality this consolation this walking side by side so yeah it's a beautiful image
1: you know when when ignatius gives us that call of the kingdom you know i I love the the medieval image and i always like to, to present that to people realizing that it's it's very foreign to our way of thinking but you know but it really is like you know i want you to walk with me to be with me to do everything with me and if you do all of that, you will, you know, even share with me the, 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 the dark side of my life. Then you will share with me the glories to come. And I, and I think, you know, if you look deeper into that image, I say, well, OK, look at something, some people in your own life. Look at people that you, you almost are infatuated with. You, you look at them and say, I want to I see the way they treat people around them. I like that I want to become like that or someone else I I you know I see the way they go out of their way to help their children or to help their parents and I and sort of they begin to, to take out of their human friendships the the notion of companionship the notion of what that really means and say that's how I can be with Jesus and then I always like to say if he allows that <laughs> You know, because friend, friendship is mutual. And mm-hmm. so it really has to be within the mutuality of it. I can't just say, I'm going to be a companion of Jesus. You, you can do that as a, as a Jesuit novice. And maybe after 65 years, as I say now, maybe you've gotten a little bit closer to what that might mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and again, that gets makes me think of the difference between family and friends and family can be so complicated. It can be one-sided, um, often, but yeah, that deep mutuality that has to come from friendship, um, that has to also be continually nurtured again, which is why prayer is so important that, um, yeah, that desire, that that bond—you have to work at it. Um, family you can take for granted pretty easily, um, but friendship takes work, um, takes commitment.
1: I, I remember a sign that Kathy Spornick up at our retreat house gave me. Uh, it's still hanging on my door, actually. It just said, "A loyal friend is worth more than a thousand relatives." <laughs> <laughs> How true. And I was, yeah, because I remember describing some of the relatives in my own family to a fellow Jesuit who also had a similar sense. And he just smiled. He said, yep, I understand. It was sort of like, you know, this one doesn't like us. This one kind of loves that pushes everybody. You know, it was right down the line. But, but a loyal friend is someone who well, it literally uh, gives your life for the other. What, what is someone who gives your life for the other? You know, I, I think in marriage, yes. I think part of that commitment is I will give my life for you. I am giving my life for you. And I think within religious life, uh, it, standing before Jesus in a celibate relationship, it is still I give my life for you. And and, and and if that isn't in the picture, if it has that kind of but, but only, but, 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 then you're not really entering into the, the, the deep level of companionship uh, uh, and friendship that uh, you wish to be.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that makes me think of the call of the king meditation that you mentioned earlier, um, that when you love someone and have deep respect and admiration for them, you're on board for things they're excited about. It's not necessarily that you have this great sense of call, personal call to mission right from the beginning or justice. But if my best friend is excited about something, I kind of trust that it's going to be awesome if she's into it. And so that, that call of the King, you, you know, Jesus, you trust him, you're excited about what he's excited and hopefully your own sense of mission and justice, um, and service comes, but that trust in the person is what leads you there first. Um, I think about that. Just our our family vacations. Like I'm I'm down to go with the flow wherever we go because I trust I'll have a good time. I'm with I'm with Andy. I'm with our kiddos, um, and so that that relationship is so primary before any of the, the fruits that come from it.
0: I was talking to someone the other day, uh, he was talking about his wife and, and some of the career interests that she has, and he was recognizing her gifts and they weren't the same as his gifts. He didn't necessarily share interest in the same way she did, but he was so excited for the possibilities for her to use her gifts well. Um, and I just thought like that is a sign of that, that, that deep sharing of joy like Ignatius says, can you share? Ask God for the grace to share in the joy of Jesus's joy. Um, not not particularly, and I think the words you—it's not the not the joy of the resurrection. It's sharing in Jesus's joy of of his own resurrection. You
1: know, I've always liked that that closing element of the exercises, which is to be able to see the world as Jesus sees it. Hmm. It really is. It's, it's, because, you know, we, we, even when initially we talk about being with Jesus, we, we, you know, we have to learn about him and all that sort of thing. But finally, to be able to look at the world through his eyes, it's that same, you know, to say, OK, what? OK, Jesus, what do you see in this mess? You know. You know, you pick up the Atlanta Journal and Constitution and you tell me what you see, you know, and shall we all, shall we both weep together? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's exactly, uh, you know, that that he looks at the world in a particular way, because not only is he the reason ultimately for creation, he is the guide for creation and for creation to be restored in love to the Father, that's a that wonderful thing in uh, One Corinthians fifteen, where Jesus turns everything back in love. You know, but that, to, to ask what does He see in this world, and and can I can I see that? I think that to me is, is the depth uh, uh, the depth of companionship there too.
0: I think that takes a lot of work because we we all are so different and are formed differently, and we see the world through very different lenses you know, and I certainly can speak in a, in a marriage where you, that mirror is really held up to you, where having that empathy to not only do, you know, try your best to understand the other's feelings, to understand their, their point of view, it just takes a lot of work and conversation because we all, we do see the world very differently. Um, but that's, it's worth the work, you know, in that kind of friendship, that companionship.
1: You know, There's another piece that's connected to this too. I, I, you know, when I grew up and I'm sure everybody still has this sense of, well, God doesn't change. And I, I, I've pondered that for many years, particularly when I had begun to use the language of friendship and our relationship with God our relationship with Jesus. Is that in fact, if it's going to be mutual, God has to change. That anytime a human person comes to be, God must change. Because God has a new friend to deal with.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And in dealing that new friendship, God has got to bring out of God's own self a love that is unique to that person, and to invite that person to restore return the unique love to God. And that's a very different way of understanding our relationship with God. But if we have God just simply, well, he doesn't change. He's like a politician who says, I love you all, that means nothing. But he loves individually. And the mutuality between God and every human person uh, is really uh, what that companionship is ultimately about.
0: Even politicians change, <laughs> you know, and I think we, and I wonder if we sometimes put politicians on a pedestal in the same way we do sometimes <laughs> with God is that we assume that <clears throat> someone in that position of authority or power must be absolute um, and we don't allow that space for growth. And what is, uh, I mean, it's human to grow. It's human to evolve and to give God, who was human, um, that space to grow and to evolve and to deepen relationship. How can we speak about relationship with God if you don't speak about growth and evolution? Right, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: So Peter, 65 years a Jesuit, when did you feel like you... Felt a friendship with Jesus.
1: Oh. It, it, there's no when. When when makes it sound like, okay, I was nothing up to this point and everything after that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's like any kind of, we tend to think that way of those special moments. I would just say it's an evolving reality. Uh, it's, a, it's an evolving reality. Sometimes when I am... Uh, with great deals of consolation and joy and everything else, I you know, and and, and begin to kind of be uh, be grateful that God has that Jesus has been there through it all, and uh, it's not just me, and you know those kind of things. But and the harder ones are times when it is not joyful. Um, you know, I I always like to remind myself that we say Jesus is present in all things, and there's lots of things out there, and some of those things are not pleasant at all. And you know, how do you find God in them all? So, um, you know, when I take some of the things that, in fact, were destructive of my life, and you know, and through some kind of traumatic experience, whether it be smoking or alcohol or other things like that, where You know, it began to become very much aware that things had to change in my life. You know, I could still say this was all part of God's constant being with me, guiding me through that. Not not there as a uh, uh, raising a finger or yelling or being intimidating or whatever, but being there as a companion and, uh, you know, so I, I think it's it, it's an ongoing evolving awareness um, and you know and it's not yet finished, you know it's not yet finished uh, i I love that thing in Paul when he says, uh, you know well, should I go now or do you still want me to work basically and I think now he still wants me to work at least today, and we'll see where it goes mm-hmm. but when you see that, I just say um In either case, it's in companionship with them. It's in conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that I have to worry about, stress about, it's, uh, uh, yeah, so I think evolving would be the the ongoing thing, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that reminds me of um, some friends of ours that we often call upon to be a witness couple in our marriage prep program. And when asked, you know, how many years have you been married? They answer, "We got married this morning, and we'll get it married again tomorrow." And just that—that that daily commitment—and um, and that's the same as what I was hearing you say about discipleship or a friendship with Jesus. That all right, he wants me to work today. We're gonna do that today. Tomorrow, we'll see what else is in store. But it's a daily return um, to that relationship and that friendship to see what's in store.
1: Yeah, that really would be if you say that to any friendship. I mean, and you know that from marriage. I mean, it would be nice to say that you are totally sacramentally married the day you say "I do, I do," mm-hmm. and that's just nonsense. You know, you are, you become married day after day after day after mm-hmm. day after day, and you know, and 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 there are so many things in human relationships and our relationships with Jesus that are. Uh, always have a future if it didn't have a future there'd be no relationship
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah you know they have to have a future always a surprise something that we didn't expect that's what makes love and friendship and companionship what it is it, it always has something new so that you know when you when you turn 65 years marriage and you will discover things that you you haven't yet you, that are still waiting for you you know mm-hmm. but otherwise it, it if you ever say i love somebody and have a period at the end of it you've lost love
0: mm-hmm. you've lost friendship, you know mm-hmm. there's a couple of uh psychologists who have done a lot of research on marriage and they <clears throat> they've said that um one thing that is integral to a, a, a solid lasting marriage is friendship And that has to be cultivated over time uh, and deepened over time um, It it becomes kind of a foundation for the relationship. Um, Because kind of what Sarah said, you know, if you just become family members, which is something that happens in marriage, you become more and more family sort of as time goes on. um, You can lose that friendship and you just become, you know. Family member relatives who, who live together you know um, so there's there's certainly a lot of wisdom in that and that friendship and that's something that we we really try to bring to our marriage prep and our, our marriage enrichment program you know there's one thing other thing I wanted to, to mention and just kind of I wanted to actually read the full uh, sentence that Ignatius has in the exercises about the colloquy and speaking to To Jesus like a friend uh, because he actually names kind of four characteristics of friendship that I think are are helpful. Um, He says the colloquy is made by speaking exactly as one friend speaks to another or as a servant speaks to a master. Now asking him for a favor, now blaming himself for some misdeed, now making known his affairs to him and seeking advice in them. And I see these four sort of more simply as uh, reliance on one another, reconciliation or forgiveness, uh, transparency or openness, um, and advice giving, which, which certainly is a part of friendship and, and, and relationships. But I, I sense this, you know, even though he still includes that image of servant and master, I sense in these four characteristics... Um, a, a a really kind of an openness and mutuality and honesty that um, really comes out in the exercises, especially when, as you mentioned, Peter, when we reach the end with you know seeing through through Jesus's eyes, co-laboring with him, walking side by side in this sort of shared shared mission of of mutuality and and vulnerability. Um, so Ignatius, you know though a product of his time and he certainly doesn't dismiss maybe a different um kind of a hierarchical image, um, there really is this intimacy that comes you know,
1: from when you mentioned that uh you know we tend to think of servant and master in terms of slavery,
0: yeah, you
1: know uh when i th- when I hear that, I think of Don Quixote and Sancho. <laughs> They had a, They were together. Yeah. That was a different kind of servant-master relationship, which I think is what Ignatius, in Ignatius's world, Don Quixote is what you have in mind. You mm-hmm. don't have uh, uh, s- slavery as we've come to experience it and still struggle, struggle to get out of. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts?
1: Well, I think the only final thought, you know, is and this this is also part of the whole companionship itself. You know, when somebody comes to you and they say, um, how do I find God's will? And I always look at myself, I, I don't know. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What makes you most excited? And I said, OK, once you get that, then we can do some discernment on it, because sometimes it might be uh, it still could be the, the the evil spirit getting at you, but but you at least have to start with that, not uh, with a blank slate. And I think that the language of Ignatius that says that the imagination is the way God speaks to us it, it is to awaken that. And 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 basically, it, that comes down to the fact that it's God inside of you working with you, not a God outside of you dealing with you and it's as you know so it's it's i am most excited about that but let's start with that you know that might be when god is trying to speak to you and and let's put it in the context of your life because it may be good it may not be but let's start with that and i think that that whole sense that's also part of companionship is uh, what gets you excited mm. you know you want to know what god wants what gets you excited yeah. <laughs> you know
0: thank you thank you both yeah this is a lot of good goodness to reflect on and certainly a gift and as this ignatian year continues in these podcasts we can continue to unpack some of these little gems of wisdom that that come out of ignatius's experience and prayer and and the exercises so thank you both
2: thank you thank
0: you thanks for listening Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at IgnatiusHouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.